to the book of Revelation chapter 10. And as you're turning there, I want to say this. If you believe in God, or even if you don't, uh, the biggest question that you will face in your life will, whatever the questions are, they all boil down essentially to one three-letter word. Why? Why? Why did God allow this evil thing or that one to happen? Why the Holocaust? Why world wars? Why empires? Why colonialization? Uh, why uh, all of this stuff? Uh, or more personally, why was my wife struck down by breast cancer at 35? Why did my child die in the womb? Why uh, didn't my son, whom I love, follow Jesus even though I taught him to imitate me in doing so? Uh, why, if I'm a godly woman, did no godly man ever even ask me on a date, never mind propose to me? Why? All of these questions and many, many, many others like them come out of a place of deep pain and a sense of loss. And uh, such answers as we have, we don't always find fully satisfying. Amen? We don't know. We would like to know. And if you're a believer in Christ, what you learn to do is to trust God through these things, in spite of these things, and to recognize, as Job eventually did, that God's presence in your life, even without answers, is enough. And you also, as a believer in Christ, learn to look to Jesus who suffered in the ultimate uh, sense, unjust suffering, unjust pain, unjust betrayal, unjust death and be able to look to Him in hope and realize that, that, well, if God is willing to go through that, then He knows what it's like, at least, when I go through that. But there is still profound mystery surrounding these kinds of questions. Why? Why? In fact, I would contend that the central mystery that has confronted humanity since the garden is that question. And if that's the question that you came with today, or one of the questions that you came with today, I am excited to show you Revelation chapter 10. Because Revelation chapter 10, what we have in it is a little interlude, uh, which is about a $20 crossword puzzle uh, word that means a break in the action. And, and what you've been seeing is all of these plagues uh, unleashed by God in judgment against a wicked and unbelieving and rebellious world. And right alongside them, God saving people, snatching them out of His judgment if they will turn to Him in faith. And all of these things are happening together and the action so far is intense. Last week we literally saw the pit open and the demonic hordes unleashed. And it's and it's a startling, terrifying passage of Scripture. And so right at that point, we get this break. And God pulls us back. And He says, let me show you some things that I'm doing. Let me show you some details of my mysterious plan. And let me show you a time 
that I'm going to tell you there will be a time in the future when all of my plan will be fulfilled and all of your why questions will be answered. Now, I'm about to read God's Word for us. I'll read the whole chapter. But just in honor of God's Word and as we receive it, if you'd stand with me as we read it together. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Let's be seated. Now, after witnessing the unfolding trauma of the demonic plagues unleashed on the earth by the sixth trumpet judgment, the next thing that John sees and describes is this mighty angel. Now, if you study what the Bible has to say about angels, uh, which is not perhaps as much as we would like, one of the things that you learn about angels is that angels are not all this undifferentiated, totally equivalent, interchangeable mass of beings, but that they are different types of angels, that they are different in power and in glory and in role. They're different in appearance. And uh, some of them are uh, closer to God and have roles in His throne room. Some of them are sent down to the earth. Jesus talks about uh, little children and how they have angels that watch over them that behold the face of God in heaven. That the idea of guardian angels is a biblical idea. Uh, this particular angel is not named, but he apparently is quite powerful and comes quite close to God Himself in glory. Now, everything that God creates is not is lesser than Him in power and glory, but still is created as a reflection of His power and glory and nature. And this being, this angel, uh, is uh, like unto God Himself in glory. 
Uh, like God on His throne, He has a rainbow over His head and He comes down out of heaven wrapped in a cloud. His face shines like the sun. And His legs are described as being like pillars of fire. Now that term, pillars of fire, ought to make the little hairs on your neck stand up. Because if you remember the book of Exodus... Remember that as God led the people of Israel out, and by the way, come to the movie, you'll see the pillar of fire that leads the people through the dark. That God's presence dwelt with His people in the night like a pillar of fire. And they could see His presence. They had a nightlight. And it was God's own presence dwelling in flame above the tabernacle. And then in the daytime, if you're in the desert in the daytime, what do you want? Shade. And so they had a pillar of cloud that covered over them, that gave them shade and led them through the desert. But this angel has two legs that are like two twin pillars of fire coming down out of heaven. And when he speaks, it's loud like the roaring of a lion. Now, I have not been able to confirm this independently, but my understanding is that in the wild, you can hear a lion roar at a distance of up to five miles. It's the only sound in nature that travels that far. And this angel, when he speaks, it's loud. It's like the roaring of a lion. You can hear it at a distance. This creature is powerful. And he has a small scroll in his hand. And his power and his might, I don't know how big this angel is, but his power and might is such that he can stand simultaneously one foot on the earth, uh, on the land of the earth, and one foot, it doesn't say in the ocean, on the ocean on the ocean. And so I don't know if this angel is so huge that like, you know, standing on the ocean as deep as it is is like you and I standing in a rain puddle. Um, <laughs> but but this is a powerful being is the point. And he has what is in comparison to him a tiny little scroll in his hand that is open. Verse 3 and verse 4, John says that when this angel speaks the first time, that the seven thunders sounded. Verse, uh, you should know biblically that the number seven is the number of completeness or perfection, and that thunder is typically associated in Scripture with God's judgment. And the idea of the seven thunders is not that there are literally seven different things up in heaven that make the thunder, but that all of God's power over the storm is complete. That God rules over rain and storm and thunder and lightning. All of the powers of creation are His. And He can use them to bring judgment that is complete in whatever way He chooses. And somehow, when, when John hears the voices of the seven thunders of God, he's about to write down what they said. And God's voice speaks 
and says, don't write that down. Now that to me is fascinating, that John records that something happened, but he couldn't write it down. This is the only sealed revelation in this book. And so it's useless to speculate, well, what did they say? Well, because if God wanted us to know, he would have told us, right? He wanted us to know that there was something that was said, but not what it was. God commands John everywhere else in the book to write down everything else that he sees and hears. But this is forbidden. And um, our job, men and women, is to take seriously what God has revealed, though, and to trust it and to obey it in a relationship with him. And verse 5 through 7 to me are also fascinating because you see this powerful angel raise his right hand. Why do you do that? Because you're about to swear to something, right? If you go to court, they make you place your hand on a Bible. I wonder how long that will continue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you place your hand on a Bible, right? Because... That's part of our Christian heritage, right? That you would swear on God's word. To tell the, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Right? That you would swear on God's word. Well, this angel is going to swear, but he's not going to swear by God's word. He's going to swear by God himself. And look how... Look how uh, God is described by him who lives forever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea is what and what is in it. There is some good theology in there about who God is and what he has done you, that we should not miss. God is the eternal creator. He has always existed. He always will uh, there is never a time you can go back to when God was not there. There will never be a time in the future when God is not there. There is never a time in the present when God is not there. God is eternally existent. It is not in His nature to cease existing. He always was and is and will be. And on top of that, there is nothing in all of the universe which He did not make. He is the creator of all things visible and invisible, as the creed says, summarizing this passage. The creator of all things. Things in heaven that we can see, things in the heavenly realms that we cannot see. Things in the earth that we know about, things on earth that we don't know about. Things in the sea that we have seen, things that we have never seen. God made all things in all of the universe. God brought it all into existence. And the reason for the angel's oath and the description of God, that is, that the reason these things are included is for our benefit. Does the angel know who God is? Uh, that is a safe statement. All right? But it's so that we get reminded of who God is. And so that we would be encouraged that since this is who God is, and since He lives forever, and since He created all things, then what He declares through His servant, this powerful angel, will certainly come to pass. It will definitely come to pass. And having made His oath, uh, here's what the angel declares to be His message from God. Do you see it? 
there will be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. That message is for our benefit, for our encouragement, for our instruction. You know, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which, by the way, I love the fact that in Genesis 3.14, God is announcing judgment. In Genesis 3.15, He's announcing salvation. Does God prompt about how you might be delivered from the judgment of sin? Yes. Literally, the next verse is about how you might be saved and about the Messiah to come. And ever since then, for all of the unfolding millennia since then, how far back is the Garden of Eden? Your guess is as good as mine. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then following that, He filled the creation and made it suitable for humans in six days. And on the sixth day, He brought about the creation of humanity, the crown, the reflection of His glory, and they rebelled and fell into sin against Him. And ever since then, God has been unfolding His mysterious plan to redeem humanity and redeem the creation and make it back better than it was. And we have watched for unfolding millennia and we've seen empires rise and fall and every kind of sin. From immorality to polygamy to abuse to rape to warfare to hatred to greed to uh, oppression to slavery to whatever you want. And we go, God, when is all of this coming to an end? This is a mess. And alongside all of that, God has been working salvation for generation to generation, to, from millennia to millennia. God has been actively at work saving a people for Himself. But when is this coming to an end? This verse tells us. At the blowing of the seventh trumpet, in the days when that blows. And by the way, it's the days plural. You need to remember that. So it's the season, the time. When this occurs, there will be no more delay. It will be as if uh, God is the lifeguard who blows his whistle and says, All right, everybody out of the pool, this is done. And when will that happen? It will happen right here. God drives a stake. He lays down a marker. In the period of time surrounding the blowing of the seventh trumpet in chapter 11 that we're going to see, God will fulfill all His promises given through the prophets. And that promise is given for our encouragement. That we are not going to live like this forever. And it's given also for the encouragement of people living in those days. There will be millions of people, millions, who come to Christ during this tribulation period because God's grace runs right alongside His judgment in parallel. And God is snatching people from the judgment that even as it's falling, He is grabbing people out from the fire. 
And he's doing so through the ministry of the 144,000 and all millions that they lead to faith in Christ. And he's going to do it through the testimony of these two witnesses that we'll meet next week that come in the spirit and power of Elijah and Moses and are able to do miracles and are struck dead and raised to life. And they are seen so that people might come to faith in Christ. But people living in those days are going to be going, God, how long is this going to last? And, they, and, and, and this passage is also here for us, men and women, who are in some days that have been challenging, where many people, millions of people across our country have lost our, their jobs due to the economic destruction of the pandemic, and many more have have chafed under the restrictions imposed by our governments at various levels, and many more have died due to sickness, and we're all frustrated and we're all going, when is this going to be over? And these days are not nearly as bad as those. Not nearly. And this verse is here to tell us that God will not always delay wrapping all of this up. God will not always delay. Even those of us who are living through comparatively much easier challenges in 2020 are starting to wonder, is this always going to be like this? The answer is no. These verses are God's reassurance to His people that he will not allow the evil of this world to persist forever. It will only be allowed to persist as long as His purpose and plans are yet to be fulfilled. They will persist only until God's purpose, His mysterious plan to bring about the salvation of people from every tribe and language and nation and group are fulfilled. And that day will come in the days of the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And, and just as all that the prophets have prophesied has not all been fulfilled yet, in that day all these things will be fulfilled. All of the hopes that you have had and longed for and not seen yet will come to pass. All of the why questions that you have cried yourself to sleep at night with over the long years of your life will get their answer. All of the purposes and pain and difficulty of history will all be wrapped up and fulfilled as the mystery of God comes to complete fruition. Is that encouraging? Amen. That is encouraging. In verses 8-11, through 11, this is John's recommissioning to write down the revelation that he's going to receive in the rest of the book. John, you've received a bunch of revelation up to now. I'm going to give you the complete unfolding of everything from here. And everything is going to take place exactly as I have revealed it to you. And, and he says, look, when you eat this, it's going to taste good in your mouth, but it's going to be unsettling to you. Any of y'all ever eaten that kind of thing? Right? Like you go, ooh, I shouldn't have eaten that gas station burrito. It was, <laughs> you know, 
don't remind me never to eat sushi in, at, at, a, at a gas station in Alabama ever again, right? Um, don't ever do that, right? It was it tasted good in my mouth, but it was unsettling, right? Sometimes God's word is that way, that it tastes good when we receive it, but it's but it's unsettling because what's what it reveals to us is not something that sits well with us. Amen. Have some passages of Scripture like that that you're not quite sure how it sits with how it makes your heart feel, right? This is one of those for John. And the angel tells John, you've got to speak about kings and peoples and nations and languages and it's going to be proclaimed. Written on that scroll was everything in chapter 11 and following. And John's job is to convey it all to us because God is ensuring that we understand how his plan is going to come to fruition, how it's all going to unfold. Now, let me be really clear about the point of this chapter. The point of this chapter is very simple. That everything that we see unfolding in this book is part of the unfolding of God's mysterious plan. It's part of the unfolding of it. It's part of the culmination of it. And it's teaching us further that all things, all things that God allows to happen are likewise part of God's mysterious unfolding plan. And we might not understand it. We might not comprehend it in total now, but nothing in the universe is random. Nothing. Nothing happens by chance. God is not up there, you know, playing craps with our lives. Oh, snake eyes. Oh, I busted again. You know, I mean, that God doesn't do that, right? It's not random. It's not random. This stuff that, that happens is happening according to God's purposes, God's plan according to the fulfillment of everything that He has revealed to the prophets, it's all working together for our good, for His glory, to the culmination of His purposes in history and in our lives. And it will consummate in a glorious kingdom with Jesus Christ Himself as King and us, His children, as co-heirs with Him of an eternal kingdom which can never be shaken, which will never perish, spoil, or fade away, or diminish in any respect. God will judge wicked humanity. He will judge wicked demons. God will bring salvation and glory to the believing. All of the hidden and unknown details, all of the things that you read in your Bible, like let's say you're doing your devotions in Ezekiel and you go, God, I don't get it. One day you will get it. Because you will see it unfold in front of you. You will see dry bones live. You will see the glorious temple that is promised to God's people. You will see Jesus Christ Himself reigning as King. All of the things the prophets have predicted and declared from millennia up to now. All of the waiting that we have endured 2,000 years since the crucifixion of Christ nearly to the day will all come to their culmination and fruition. 
All of Scripture will have its complete fulfillment and final revelation in Christ. And all of this will happen when? In the days when the seventh trumpet blows. Well, pastor, that's awesome. When is that? I don't know. Okay? If you, ha if you hear someone on the radio or out on the internet or sending you letters like a crazy person, which we got a crazy person letter this week. Uh, Rick Rosetto showed it to me, okay, where you can just look at it and you ch you're checking the address, which hospital did this come from, right? Um, and, and they're all for sure to tell you, well, I know exactly. I know the day. I know exactly when. You know what? Jesus said nobody knows the day. I'm going to stick with the man who rose from the dead, not the guy abusing the postal service. Right? Um, and, and we don't know. But here's what we do know. That in the meantime, we need to trust God. We need to trust God because if God lives forever, and He does, if God is the creator of all things visible and invisible, if God has promised here to fulfill His mysterious plan in total on a certain day known only to Him, then we need to trust and obey Him in the present and with our future. We need to trust Him when we don't know why things happen. And by the way, very few circumstances that were painful and hard in my life have I ever gotten a clear why. And you probably won't either. But if God lives forever and if He is bringing all things to fruition and fulfillment in Christ, then I can trust Him even though I don't know why. We need to trust Him when our hopes are dashed. We need to trust Him when we don't know uh, why He's asking me to do something that is difficult. We need to trust Him and live according to His Word even when what He requires of us in it is hard for us. We need to trust His Word in what it teaches about all things. We need to trust that He knows what is best for us in every area of life from finances to family from servanthood to sex, from our identity to how to live a joyful life. And we can trust Him. We can trust Him because He is bringing all things to fulfillment. His mysterious plan is unfolding before our eyes and one day it will not be a mystery anymore. It will be history. It will be the reality that we experienced with the Lord. And so in the meantime, whatever circumstances you're in, trust the Lord. Lord, I don't want to remain celibate until marriage. That's hard. Trust the Lord and do it anyway. Lord, I don't want to trust You through this painful disease I have enduring. Trust the Lord. Lord, I don't want to have to bite my tongue and speak with kindness instead of lashing back on social media at the person who bit my head off. 
trust the Lord and do it anyway. Lord, I don't want to submit to my boss. Submit out of reverence for Christ to every governing authority. Lord, I don't like what our governor has declared. Submit to the Lord and do it anyway. Lord, I don't like who our political candidates are. You're going to have to trust me through this election. Lord, I don't like this. I don't understand. There is a why. Even if you don't know what it is. Trust the Lord in every circumstance. Because there is a day coming when there will be no more delay. When all things will unfold and God's plan will be completely and totally fulfilled. And those who have followed the Lord faithfully, who have trusted Him with their lives, will enter into glory. And so in the meantime, trust the Lord. He is fully trustworthy. He lives forever. His plan is from before there was time and it finds its fulfillment at the end of time. And He will carry us out of time into eternity with Him forever as we trust in Him. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank You that our lives are not random. That nothing that happens to us is surprising to you. That you do not throw dice with the universe. That all things that, that happen are according to the unfolding of your sovereign plan of love for your people and judgment on the wicked who have rejected you. Uh, Father, I pray that we might trust you in every circumstance, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Father, I pray that we might trust your word, that we might trust what you have unfolded and revealed, that we might know you enough and understand who you are well enough that we might, even in difficulty, continue to hold tightly to you. Father, I pray that any person here who has got in their gut right now a deeply painful question, why did God allow this? What is God doing? Father, I pray that you would enable them to trust you and to walk with you through that circumstance and to follow you in spite of their pain because you know the pain we go through. Your son lived through it all and continued to commit himself to you. Father, we might, uh, we want to walk in his way and follow his, his path and His plan. Help us to trust You, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.